0: Well church, I hope you're ready for a word from the Lord. Our text is found in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 5. If you're ready for a word, I want you to say I'm ready. I'm ready. Put I'm ready in the comments because I believe this is going to be a blessing to you. This is going to bless your life and it might challenge you a little bit too. But that's okay, right? It's okay. We should be challenged. We should be getting pushed by the word of the Lord. It challenged me in prep And I pray that it challenges you as you receive it. Matthew chapter eight, verse five. And before we get into the message today, I want you to be lifting up and keeping in prayer a couple of members of our church. Number one, of course, as I mentioned last week, the Battles family. Please keep the Battles family in prayer as Deacon Greco Battles lost his mother um, uh, last week. So please keep them in prayer. He's been traveling back and forth from Ohio to Ohio and from Ohio so please pray for traveling mercies for him as he establishes a lot of leadership in his family, spiritual leadership, guidance, and also natural leadership as well. So pray for his strength, pray for wisdom, and also pray for the, the arms of the Lord to be wrapped around him and his wife, Deaconess Teresa, also their daughter, Angela Hunter as well. Okay, please keep the Battles family in prayer. And also I want you to keep in prayer. Uh, One of our members, Rachel Pounders, her mother, Elizabeth, is in the hospital. And so I want you to keep the Pounders uh, family in prayer as they're navigating this. And so pray for complete and total healing for her mother. And also pray, pray, please, please, um, for the encouragement and the uplift of the Pounders family. Okay, let's pray. And let's go ahead and bring these concerns to the Lord before we get into the word. God, I thank you that you are near to each one of us. I thank you, God, that you have a promise to wrap your arms around us and be there for us in times of trouble, that even in times of distress, that you are a safe and a strong tower, a refuge that we can we can run into. And so, God, I pray right now, first for the Battles family, that you would continue to comfort them, uh, comfort Deacon Greco, comfort the entire extended family, the, the family in Ohio. God, I also pray that you would comfort um, those who knew his mother And I pray, God, that you would give them this blessed hope, God, this hope would rise up within them. I pray that as Deacon Greco is continually in this uh, mode of leadership, not just at our church, but also within the family as well. I pray that you would give him strength, give him clarity, give him space and room to grieve and to heal and to mourn as is necessary. God, I pray that that would be done in a good and healthy way. And I pray also, God, that you would bring him um, to full strength as well, God, that He would be able to do what is necessary in the time that it's necessary, God. But I pray for grace, no condemnation whatsoever, but grace, God, um, for them to to be able to walk through this in Your timing. I also lift up the Pounders family to You, as Rachel Pounder's mother, Elizabeth, is in the hospital. I pray that You would bring her to full health, that You would guide and he, and lead the doctors, that they would have their hands blessed, that they would have their hands anointed that they would have as they lay hands on her, the the ideas and the wisdom to know what to do next. I pray, God, that there would be wisdom and that there would be a testimony in this of healing. God, we thank you for these concerns. I pray for those that we don't even know about, that people have not brought to us. I pray, God, that there would be your power, that it would be distributed to every person who needs it. We thank you for this reality in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 8 Uh, verses five through 13, Matthew eight reads accordingly. It says, And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12 says, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness, In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, and it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Hmm. The servant was healed that very moment. We're going to talk. We're actually going to close out the Godspeed series today by one more time talking about the shift. I want you to type that in the comments, the shift, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, say it with me, the shift. Now, we've been dealing with this series entitled Speed," right? It is divine pace for divine purpose. And what we've been saying is this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the first things that you have to learn how to do is change your pace. You have to allow the pace that you desire to move at to be throttled back and to match the pace of God or maybe to even be picked up and to match the divine pace that God has for you. As we're navigating life, we must, even as we move past this series, we must remember that God's timing is not our timing. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. God's movements are not our movements. And so one of the first things we have to learn to do as believers, and this is another thing that we will have to continually face, it's going to be one of those things that continuously comes up. If we desire to move in line with God's will and God's way, We must change our pace. And so this is the statement we've been saying, and you can probably say it with me by now. When we get there is not as important as how we get there. So the timing chronologically of when we get there is not as important as the shape and the texture, as the fiber of our soul when we arrive. I don't just want to show up at the place that everyone expects me to be and get this mentality in my head that I've made it just because I reached that mythical destination, that journey stop, that point where God is going to make all things clear to me. No, no, no. I want to take a step back and I want to say this. What is the condition of my soul? What is the condition of my heart? What is the condition of my mind? What is the condition of my maturity? And so what we've been trying to say is what we've been arguing is that we must fall in line with where God has us, not where we think we should be. How many of you are saying as we close out this series, I'm going to fall and stay in line with where God has me? I'm not going to try to speed God up. I'm not going to try to slow God down. I'm not going to try to adjust the pace so that I can so that God can fit my pace, my plan, my purpose, my ideas. But how many are saying I'm going to fall in line with where God has me? That's if that's you. Why don't you type in the comments? That's me. Say that's me. I'm going to fall in line with where God has me. And why do we fall in line with where God has us? Because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, that God has made everything beautiful. Or the CSB says, God has made everything appropriate in its time. Now, we've talked about a number of things in this uh, Godspeed series. We talked about divine acceleration. We talked about seasons of stuff. And most recently, we've talked about the shift. And when I say the shift, it's very important for you to understand that when I say the shift, the shift is when God moves exactly opposite of how you thought he would. The shift is when God does something that is opposite of the ideas or the thoughts that you have, the preconceived notions or perceptions, excuse me, that you thought God was according supposed to move according to. And all of us in our lives have at least one place where God is moving unexpectedly. Some of you over the course of this series have admitted to me that God is moving you in uncomfortable and unexpected ways as a result of this series. So you're blaming me. Listen, it's okay. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's not me. I'm just going to tell you God is moving unexpectedly in at least one area of everyone's lives. That includes me. That includes you. That includes your neighbor. So whatever God is doing unexpectedly, we've classified it as the shift. And so what we've been saying is very clear. Over the past few weeks, we've said God will always show up. I want you to remember this. God will always show up, just not how you think. (laughs) If we could grab all of the great biblical characters that were written about in Scripture, some of the heroes and chiros of the faith, and maybe even some of our personal heroes and chiros that we know or are in proximity to, they would all probably, if we asked them this question, They would all probably sigh and nod and say, yes, I can track the times when, yes, it is true, God showed up, but it wasn't how I expected. It's bad news and it's good news. God will circumvent our expectations. But I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is going to show up, even if it's not in the way that I expected. (laughs) I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I'm glad, number one, that God shows up. I can deal with the fallout. I can deal with the shift. I can deal with the adjustment, but I couldn't deal if God didn't show up. And I'm here to remind you, the word of the Lord never fails. Remember, God is going to show up. I want you to type that in the comments. If you believe it, God will show up. Type it in the comments. God will show up. Now, as we bring the shift and also Godspeed to a close, I want to end this series and end this thought and close it out by, a ch- by challenging you in a way that you might not expect, because we've been talking about the shift essentially from a passive perspective. We've been talking about the shift in the direction and in the modality, so to speak, of when God shifts us, right? When God changes up the perspective, when God changes up the timing, when God moves us forward, when God pulls us back, when God stops us, when God moves in a way that's the exact opposite of how we thought God would move, we're talking about it in the context of a passive idea, or we are sitting back waiting on God to shift us. God, whenever you want us to move out of seasons of stuff into divine acceleration, move us. Whenever you desire for us to walk in the things that we've been been able to walk in or should walk in, God, push us in that direction. Move us. Pull the rug out from under our feet. Throw us into the fire. Throw us out of the fire. Do whatever you want to do. And that's good and that's right and that's true. But church, let me challenge you. That's incomplete. Because yes, it is true. Many times God will shift us. But here's the question I want to ask today. Here's the question that I want to Throw out in your mind, plant the seed in your mind, and perhaps challenge you in a way that you were not expecting. This is the question What if God isn't supposed to shift us? What if the shift is up to us? (laughs) What if the shift is up to us? What if we are not supposed to be waiting on God to do something? But what if God is waiting on us? I I I know, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, how could this be good theology? how could this be right? How could this be what God desires for us to do? But if you look throughout all of the scriptures, God gives options. God gives direction. God gives the grand plan or the grand scheme or the grand command, and he leaves it up to the people who God is talking to to make the decision to walk in the thing God has placed in front of us. I know what you're thinking. God is just going to do all the work. No, 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 no. Let me burst that bubble right now for you. God is not going to do all the work for you. God is going to lay out the plan and challenge you to walk in what God has called you to walk in. Paul puts it like this. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, next verse. It is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. So what we see here is the reality and oftentimes the paradox that we live in. We are supposed to work and God is working in us. We are supposed to move and God is moving for us. We are supposed to walk and God is walking with us. And I don't know about you, but that's actually something that gives me great courage. It gives me great peace. Because I know that when I make a decision, I do not make a decision alone and I do not make a decision from the motif of failure or success, but I make decisions based upon the idea that I'm already accepted as a family member, as a son of the living God. And so when I believe God has called me to shift and God has called me to take agency and autonomy over the story that God has given me to walk in, I know that I'm not doing it by myself. Am I speaking to anybody in here? God may have called for us to shift, and we're waiting on God when God is ultimately waiting on us. Let me let me put it to you like this, Howard Thurman. I love this quote. Howard Thurman puts it like this. It's long, but I'm going to read it to its uh, completion. He says, "It's a wondrous thing that a decision to act releases energy in the personality. For days on end, a person may drift along without much energy." having no particular sense of direction, and having no will to change, then something happens to alter the pattern. It may be something very simple and inconsequential in itself, but it stabs awake, it alarms, it disturbs. In a flash, one gets a vivid picture of oneself and it passes. The result is decision. Sharp, definitive decision. In the wake of the decision, yes, even as a part of the decision itself, energy is released. The act of decision sweeps all before it, and the life of the individual may be changed forever. Now, this is the theologian Howard Thurman who's saying that what ultimately changes you, what ultimately propels you forward, what ultimately shifts your reality, your past, your present, and your future is a decision. And so my question for you as we enter into this text Is what decision have you been delaying that God called you to already do? What thing have you failed to shift in? What thing have you failed to act upon? What place have you failed to walk in that God told you a long time ago this is the decision you're called to make? And many of us must repent before we even end this series because we have approached God acting as though. God doesn't have the whole story. We've approached God acting as though God didn't tell us what we should have already been doing. We approach God acting as though God didn't say, take this opportunity. We approach God acting as though God didn't say, walk in this. We approach God as though God didn't say, cut them off. Step outside of this space. This space isn't good for you. We approach God as if God didn't say and give instructions in the way that God already has. And so many of us are like, we're praising God and we're lifting our hands disingenuously. We are lifting our hands, lifting our hands, and praising God, acting as though God didn't already give us some instructions. And, church, this is a maturity message. I'm going to challenge you to grow into this. I'm going to challenge you to make the shift for yourself. Don't blame God. Don't blame the people around you. Don't blame what they did to you. Don't blame what they said about you. Don't blame your environment. Don't blame your job. Don't blame anybody else. Stand up and say, it's time for me to shift. I I want you to practice it right now. Go ahead and put it in the comments. It's time for me to shift. It's time for me to shift. The shift is up to us. And so, yes, it is true. We sit in tension. God is leading, guiding, and directing us. But many of us cannot play the God game. Uh, Pete Cazero again, he he calls it, he he puts it like this. He says it's using God to get away from God. (laughs) We cannot use Christianese to be unchristian. We cannot use Christianese to not follow Christ. What did God tell you to do? Go and do it. Don't get mystical. Don't get spiritual. Don't say I needed for someone to come down. I needed a cloud to come down and rest upon me. I needed an angel to speak over the clouds. I needed people to gather around me. I need six, seven, eight, nine, ten confirmations. Now, I understand a couple of confirmations here and there, but you need 20 confirmations for the thing God. What? What happened to the previous 19? And many of us live our lives as though our lives are some magic spell or potion. We live our lives as though we're hanging in the balance and God is waiting for us to fail and waiting to to point down and have his divine finger in our face and say, you know what? You failed me. You took a step. You stepped out. You did the thing. And now I'm going to punish you for it. We have a judge motif of God. That's why we don't step out in confidence, because we don't see God as spiritual parent or father. We see God, what? As our judge. And if you see God as your judge and not your father first, you will miss the opportunity to walk in everything that the father, a good, gracious father, has given for you to have. Again, this is part of the motif. As we shift over into All Nations, Pensacola, this is part of our motif. We, first of all, find family. How do you find family? You have to see God rightly. So I don't start by finding family by looking at my neighbor or my brother or my sister or my enemy. I start by asking the question, who is God? And if God desires my good, I don't think God is out to get me. I don't look at God skeptically. And so, again, I want to challenge you. I'm staying here because I want to challenge you again to make sure that you are stepping out and obeying God with the decision. What are some of these shift decisions? There are four ways I typically see that God has called us to make shift decisions. Number one is this to guard what God has given you. To guard what God has given you. Are you making a shift decision to not be a gateless or a wallless or a boundaryless person? You are not limitless. You should have boundaries. You should have walls. You should have gates. You should have protections. And many of us. Are living our lives with wide open doors and wide open gates. All of us would lock our doors at night no matter where we live. All of us would make sure that the alarm system is armed no matter where we live. But many of us are not setting the gates, walls, and boundaries necessary to protect our hearts and our souls. Whether you're man, woman, boy, girl, no matter what it may be, God is calling you to live with boundaries. God is calling you to protect your heart and to protect your soul. Guard your heart, Proverbs says, for out of it flow the issues of life. Number two, not just guarding what God has given you, growing into what God has called you to be. So this deals with us stepping into, shifting into what God has called for us to be. How many of you know you're not supposed to stay on the same plane forever? You're not supposed to stay on the same level forever. You're not supposed to sit in the same place forever. As a matter of fact, if you go throughout your entire Christian life and you're sitting right in the same place, in the same arena, in the same mentality, in the same idea, the entire time, you are failing God's purpose for your life. Grow into what God has called you to be. Number three, gaining something God wants you to have. This is the problem. Again, we don't think God desires good things for us. So we push them away with the idea that we have some type of humility. It's false humility. It's actually pride, not walking in what God has called you to walk in. One one pastor, uh, I know Pastor Josh Hart, he's actually part of All Nations. He posted how how wrong it is, how sinful it is for us to have a gift and not pour it. For us to have blessing and not pour it out. For us to have something that we could use in the kingdom of God and withhold it because we don't want to be seen. Some of us know we need to step out, but we don't want to bother anybody. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to be in the front. Well, you know, I can pass it off. This is me. This is Tyler Burns. But, well, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, don't want to. I don't really want to be out here doing that. I don't really want to. Ha- I don't have to have the mic. And God is like, but I called you to do something. I called you to I called you to have something. I called you to have authority. Walk in it. And that's the problem with many of us. And then finally, gleaning something new for our journey. Are you making the shift and the decision to gain and glean all that you need? And so once again, the question is, what if God isn't shifting us? But what if the shift is up to us? And this is what the centurion in Capernaum actually walked in, even though he was not a believer. The centurion shows us two places of shift, two places where we have to initiate our shift. Number one is place. Number two is posture. I'm going to share these. Then I'm going to let you go. Number one is place. Number two is posture. Everybody type place in the comments. Shift your place. Shift your place. I hope this is blessing. Notice this. Verse five in Matthew chapter eight says this. And When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Imploring him, he says that his servant is sick, fearfully tormented, which most scholars tell us means that he is dealing with a a very very intense bout of paralysis. Right? He's dealing with a crippling condition. He cannot move. He's fearfully tormented. He's bedridden, and apparently the servant or this boy or this attendant, whoever it may be. Okay, even the scripture even says at some points. A slave, whoever this may be, meant a lot to the centurion, so much so that the centurion defied all of the customs in order to get to Jesus, okay, there is a shift that needs to take place in our hearts and our minds as we enter into a new season as a church and a new season as a people. This shift is this: we cannot expect for Jesus to come to us. We must pursue Jesus for ourselves. There is a mentality in the American church that if you just sit in the pew and if you just glean, if you just eat off of what the word is being shared that day, if you just worship, if you just give a little bit, you're going to grow. No, growth must be pursued. Maturity must be captured. The thing that you desire to walk in must be pursued and grabbed. You have to go after it. And the centurion, though being a Gentile and though breaking custom, decided to to get out of his place, get out of his location, get out of his comfort zone and pursue Jesus. Notice this, though, that when he does it, Jesus says this about him in verse 10. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. In other words, we have a centurion versus Israel, a place versus a person. The person is the one who shouldn't have the faith, but the place is actually the space where it is supposed to be cultivated. And even though the place doesn't have faith, the person still does. And when I say place, I'm not talking about the geographical location. Let me bring it to where you live. Think environment. Think atmosphere. The question is this. Many of us are asking it. How can we have faith in a faithless environment? How can we have faith in an environment that does not acknowledge Jesus? But that's the wrong question. The question is, how can the faith that you have shift the environment that you're in? How can the faith that you bring to the environment change the environment? How can the faith that you bring to the job change the job? How can the faith that you bring to the relationship heal the relationship? How can the faith that you bring to your house change your house? See, some of us are asking God to change our location, our place, our atmosphere, our environment. But God is saying, when will you make the decision to shift the environment, even if it's deficient to the thing that it should be carrying? Israel should have already had the faith because Jesus was a part of them. Jesus came for them. Jesus came to represent them, to save them, to heal them, to deliver them. But Israel didn't have the faith. And so the centurion said, I can't look at y'all and expect for things passively to shift in y'all. So that then I could follow what God has called for me to follow. No, I'm going to stand up and have faith in a faithless place. Belief in a place with no belief. I'm going to have hope in a hopeless place. I'm going to have peace in a place of chaos. I'm going to have joy in a place of despair. I'm going to have hope in a place of sorrow. I'm going to walk in whatever God called me to walk in. Let me go to Jesus. And I think there's a few people being challenged here today. Your environment may not look the way you think it should look and may not have what you think it should have. But do you bring what you think the environment should have to the environment itself? What do you bring? What do you bring that alters that makes Jesus say the environment's jacked up? But they got it. When we talk about God's speed. You have to remove this misconception from your mind that you have to be in an ideal place to serve Jesus. It is a lie from the pit of hell itself. And some of us are waiting. Well, when I get in that ideal place, that's when I'm going to do what God called me to do. Just wait. Just wait till I get in it. Just wait. Wait till it happens. And God has said, if it's not happening right now, it's not going to happen later. You think the environment is what makes it? No, you have to have it for for yourself on the inside of you. It must be cultivated that you say, God, I'm going after you. Even if nobody else does, I'm going to obey you. Even if nobody else listens, I'm going to walk in what you call me to walk in. Even if nobody else, everybody else can decide to turn away. But I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to do what God has called me to do. And and I'm feeling this right now, right? Oh, just wait. Just wait till we get Just wait till we get a building. Just wait. We're going to be hitting. If we're not hitting now, we're not going to hit later. (laughs) Oh, just wait till we get these color schemes right. Just wait till this. It's not about no brand. If we're not pursuing Jesus right now, scattered and online, cyber, virtual, we're not going to pursue Jesus when we get back together. It's a test. It's going to become easy then, and it's going to become too familiar for us. If we are not finding Jesus for ourselves in our homes, the building and how nice it is and how dope the sound is and how crazy the lights are, aren't going to change a thing. Church, it's not about the place. It's about the person. What do you bring to the place? And the centurion who had no business bringing faith to the place said, you know what? I'm going to go after Jesus. Is there anybody out there who's saying, you know what? My situation, my environment, my place may not be ideal, but I know God for myself. And if I if I know God for myself, I can bring God with me wherever I go. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say that's me in the comments. That's me. I will bring faith to the place. I will bring what is deficient. I will supply the thing that I think this space lacks. That's the shift that needs to happen. I I spent too much time there. I spent too much time there. I'm sorry. Okay. It's not just place. It's also posture. That's it. And then we, we out. Okay. I'm already keeping you too long. Posture. Jesus says to him, look at verse seven. I will come and heal your servant who is fearfully tormented. But the centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes; and to another, come, and he comes. In verse ten, catch this. Now, when Jesus heard this, again he marvelled and said to those who were following, Truly, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Catch this, though. Verse eleven. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is talking about posture. First, the centurion displays posture. Type posture in the comments. First, the centurion doesn't come to God and doesn't come to a situation with entitlement but comes with faith. Some of us are approaching God with entitlement and we're calling it faith. Oh, I know God going to work it out for me. What? If God never did another thing for you, he would have still done so much. That even if you never got another blessing, that would be enough for you to praise God for the rest of eternity. Those with the proper posture understand that. Those with the improper posture desire to come to God with a laundry list of the things God needs to do before they bring something to God of what they're going to do for themselves. God, I need your strength to make this decision. Not for you to do it for me, but to empower me to do the thing you've commanded for me to have. God, I need you to empower me. I'm not going to bring myself and bring to you all the things I could be doing on my own before I even, my knees hit the floor. But God is calling for us to have the proper posture. The centurion has the authority to command, but he approaches Jesus with humility. He has the authority to force, but he has gentleness. He was worthy in the eyes of people, but he approaches Jesus as unworthy. There is something, it is a very thin line, but there is something called an unassuming faith. An unworthy faith. A non-presumptuous faith, a humble faith, which is bold, but it's also gentle, which is bold, but it's also humble. And we need to recover that because many of us have been taught that we just come in. We talk willy nilly to God. We don't even give God praise and adoration for what God is supposed to do. Here's what we do. We come in and we say, God, I need this. God, I need that. Get in the test. You ain't studied. God, I, I need you to give me an A. God is like, why would I do that? You didn't do that. You didn't shift in the way I called you to shift. God, worked this out. God is like, but you didn't save. When, when are you going to shift your mentality to bring something so that I can work with And bless what you have already brought to the table. (laughs) God, I need you to do. It's like, but you didn't manage your relationship well. What can I tell you? I can work it out for you. But what about you? What are you going to shift? And then we get mad at God because God didn't act in the way we thought. And God is like, I need you to shift. Notice what he says. There's coming a time. Verse 11. Let's pull it up. Verse 11. I will say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. If you understand their culture, reclining means acceptance. When you recline at the table, that means you are part of the family or you are an honored guest. And what he's saying is because your posture has shifted to humble faith and because you desire even understanding the fact, God, I am unworthy. I'm still going to come to God with everything that I believe I need to have in this moment. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, but I'm not going to pursue God with entitlement. I'm not going to pursue God with pride. I'm going to pursue God with humble faith, with an unassuming hope in him. That's different from just not having expectation. No, you can have expectation and still be humble. You can have expectation and still not have pride and still not have entitlement. But now he says, because you came in the right posture, now you're going to recline in the right posture. Immediately, the servant was healed. There hasn't been this much faith in all of the place where faith was supposed to be. And I'm here to challenge you to make some decisions to change and shift place and posture for the better to change and shift place and posture from you just expecting God to do everything for you, you saying, God, I'm going to take a step, but I'm also going to recognize that my posture is going to have to shift so that you can shift my posture in eternity, so that you can shift my posture in your kingdom so that I can recline and be accepted. I'm going to humble myself and be low so that when it comes time for the great feast, I can recline and be accepted. This is what God is calling for you to do as we close out this series. I know you would think that this would be a time where we throw everything back on God. God, you do it. God, you do this. No, God has called us to do some things. When are we going to make the decision? When are we going to make the shift? And what if the shift is up to us? What if God is saying, I'm waiting on you to act on all the things I've called you to act on. Right now, as we close out this service, can you lift up your hands right now? I want you to be challenged in this moment. There are some of us who have not made decisions, who have not made choices that we know God has called for us to shift in. We know we should have been obeyed. We know we should have been started that venture. We know we should have been stepped away from this. We know we should have incorporated more discipline. We know all of that. And this is not condemnation. This is just encouragement. Let us not look at God and say, God, why is this not happening? If we have not looked at ourselves and say, where do I need to obey? And so I want you wherever you are with hands lifted to say, God, help me obey. Say it right now. God, help me obey. Say this. Say, God, help me decide. God, help me decide. Help me make the decision that is necessary to shift for myself before I expect anything from you. God, I thank you that you have called each one of us to shift, but God, I thank you that you've also given us the power to shift some things on our own. I pray that we would not see this as pridefulness or entitlement or being conceited, but I pray that we'd walk with humble, unassuming faith and expectation that you have given us the power to change some things on our own. I pray for those who are struggling with that decision. I pray that you give them that push give them that little nudge that it's time for them to take that step. And I pray that as they do that, that you would give them all the power and the strength that the Holy Spirit has given and is our portion, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray that it would inhabit and animate us. And I pray that we would shift, that we would make the decision that shift is necessary for us, that we would pursue you get out of our place, and change our place, change the way in which we think of our environment and our location. And God, I pray that we would also change our posture as well. I thank you, Lord, that you have called for us, that you've given us power and authority to shift some things, that we would see ourselves not as those who are simply servants, but as loved sons and daughters of you. I thank you for this reality. I pray you again, give your people courage to do it. Even this week, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I hope this has given you the strength to decide. It's a maturity message. This is going to cause you to grow up a little bit, but I hope that you are willing and ready to make some decisions as we enter into a new season as a church and as a people. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier, please do so. You click the link above. And the pin comment below, and you can give. You can also give um, by mailing it in, PO Box sixty four hundred, Pensacola, Florida three two five zero three. Before I close, let me encourage you again. If you need to shift what is in your own heart, if you need to repent, if you need to accept Jesus, if you need to transfer your divine allegiance away from yourself and what you've been doing over to a good, gracious, and loving God who desires for you to be saved and walk in wholeness, walk in everything that God has called for you to be. You cannot shift if you do not have the power of God on your side. You cannot even enter into the conversation of Godspeed if you do not have God's power on your side. So if that's you and you need to make some decisions today, I want you to type home in the comments type home in the comments. We're going to reach out to you and encourage you and be a space for you to pray and also to perhaps receive salvation. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Jesus came that we might have a life. Jesus came as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came as the substitution for the sins of the entire world. And as a result of that, Jesus willingly accepted the responsibility so that we could accept the life and the blessing. I hope that you recognize that. And I hope that you don't delay if that's what God has called for you to do today. Do not delay. Type home in the comments. It's the most important thing you can do. It's just a prayer way. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to hear it earlier, we are having a special leadership meeting on this Tuesday night, November 9th at 6.30. It's gonna be at the Hendrix House. It is for all our leaders and also our launch team members. So if you signed up for the launch team, if you desire to sign up for the launch team, you can do that today and you will receive an invite to this special training with ONWA's Chief Culturalist, Dr. Pam Ross. I hope to see you there if you are a leader. You can also Zoom in as well. We'll be working out those details here within the next uh, day or so. So you can reach out to us We'll send you that Zoom link and you can also get the address to the Hendrix house. All right, church, I love you so much. I will see you next week right here as we again continue to move at Godspeed and shift. We're starting a new series next week. I'm so excited about it. It's going to bless your life. Trust and believe it's going to be a little bit different, but it's going to bless your life. Trust and believe that. I love you so much, church. I will see you next week. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm.